0: LifeWay Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network.
1: This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. I'm just taking the next step and I'm just saying a yes and it's saying another yes and it's saying another yes. And often that's how leadership forms. Sometimes people go out and declare they're going to do something and sometimes you're just saying yes and you're responding because God has compelled you or, or opened up a door and made it very clear, um, or maybe even kicked you in the pants and said, "Move forward," <laughs> and you do it, and then you get in there and say, "Oh, uh, this is what, this is what I'm doing."
0: Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vanoy, here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, you doing good? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. I just got back from vacation. Wish I was still there, but hopping back into it.
2: Man, I, uh, I'm jealous of you. Um, <laughs> I, it took me a couple of days to realize you're on vacation when you weren't responding to my 10,000 new idea text <laughs> messages, which is totally fine. I'm glad you didn't. Um, but it's weird because you also don't respond to my texts when you're not on vacation. So Hey, it is what it is, man. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> just kidding, guys. I'm really excited, though, because we get to have a conversation with Dorina Williamson, who is a proud mother. She's a passionate teacher. Uh, She's a devoted bridge builder, and she is also the author of Colorful, Thoughtful, and Graceful, which is really needed in today's uh, climate, and today's times. Those are children's books that celebrate God's diverse kingdom. Darina, we are so happy to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing, sister?
1: I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me on.
2: Oh, We're so excited. Now, I love what you've done
0: with your books and the theme throughout them. So can you kind of walk us through how... You know God put that on your heart to write children's book specifically um, about God's diverse kingdom
1: sure well you know God really planted these seeds of thought in my mind uh, about five years ago and I thought they might be preparing me for uh, you know a nice blog um, I've been considering jumping into that foray and um, instead. These seeds kept coming and I kept writing them down and I started seeing something forming and realized that God was giving me another new lane from which to lead and really to impact. And it was really Mm -hmm. converging my passion as a bridge builder, as you mentioned, also my call as a mom and um, also just being a black woman in the South and having been a leader of a multicultural church for, you know, at the time, 20 years, and really just bringing all those worlds together to write some children's books that I would love to read to my children when they were growing up.
0: I love that. Well, let's hop in here. You kind of mentioned this a little bit, you know, serving at your church for 20 years, leading in that capacity. So can you you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in that led you to where you are today?
1: Sure. Well, I really began as a bridge builder, but I didn't know that that's what I was doing. So, Hmm. you know, that first role was sort of, oh, okay, I'm bridging worlds together and I'm actively, you know, seeing God do something unprecedented. And uh, and then I would say the very next leadership role that was also unexpected was becoming a mother. Um, And that was like, okay, Uh, but wonderful. Absolutely love it. And and then God called me to become a pastor's wife. Um, And I use the term first lady because that's kind of the honoring title that is uh, a part of the black church tradition. And so uh, becoming a first lady and then now this new lane as an author, um, those have been the most impacting roles that I've had um, in terms of leading uh, whether it was leading children um, or leading people in my church, leading people now around the country and really around the world.
0: Hmm. You know, you mentioned, and even Josh sharing in your bio, and you shared it right then, is that you You were a bridge builder before you even realized what you were doing. So for those listening who, you know, are interested in that term, can you kind of describe, you know, what what a bridge builder is and then kind of how the Lord worked that in you to be able to, understand, you know, you didn't understand it. That's what you're doing at first, but then somebody probably was like, this is what you're doing and yes. described it. Can You got kind of to share a little bit about that.
1: Absolutely. So if you take those two words, really, you know, a bridge, which is a, a support structure that connects. And you think of building, you know, that's, that's an active work that requires mm-hmm. a lot of strength. And, you know, I've, I've gotten to see some really neat bridges recently. I got to visit um, the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. That is is a historic Mm. place um, of American history. And, uh, you know, we got to not only walk across it, but we got to go under it. And I got to just really stand, even as hot as it was outside. I just reflected under the coolness under that bridge of what the support structure looked like underneath and just pondering not only the physical structure, but also what it means to be one who bridges and who, who builds. And so the combination of the two from a cultural perspective, um, is being in spaces where you are connecting different worlds together. So from a racial standpoint, you know, as a black woman, um, leading and, and ministering in a church that brings people of various races together. So black, white, um, you know, native, um, Asian, Latino, all of those people coming together. And, working as a leader in a lane that bridges that together where people who aren't accustomed to worshiping together and doing life together realize that in Christ, that's something that's possible. Um, Often bridge builders get walked on (laughs)
2: because Mm. that's
1: what a bridge is for. So it's owning that as well. But really that role of supporting, of connecting and of bringing people together and remembering that the ultimate bridge builder was um, the one who I follow, Jesus, the Messiah, who, you know, was gave his life as, um, as a, a bridge to connect us to God. Um, and so that work of reconciliation, that's another term that people throw around, but, you know, bringing us to God. Um, so in that passion, sort of in that same lane, working as a bridge builder, um, particularly when I began, I didn't realize it because God had put us in a context with White and black, and even bridging denominations because we came from a Baptist background and we were at a mm. Presbyterian church. Um, so there are cultural things to have to overcome, and um, just seeing God bring different groups of people together and seeing myself as a catalyst for that. That's where it was like, Oh, I'm doing this, and I didn't even <laughs> know that term at the time. Yeah. Like, grid builder, it was just. I'm just taking the next step and I'm just saying a yes and it's saying another yes and it's saying another yes. And often that's how leadership forms. Sometimes people go out and declare they're going to do something and sometimes you're just saying yes and you're responding because God has compelled you or or opened up a door and made it very clear um, or maybe even kicked you in the pants and said, move forward. (laughs) And you do (laughs) it and then you get in there and say, oh, uh, this is what This is what I'm doing. Um, So that's a good thing sometimes. I think if we always knew the entire script, we might shrink back in hesitation. Mm. Sometimes when we look around and realize how God is using us um, in those times, he completely gets all the glory because you realize it's not your own doing.
0: That's a really good word about, you you know, you can, if you looked ahead and you saw the, the journey that you had to take to get where you would be, you might be like, I don't want to go through that. But oh, yeah. the, Lord, the Lord works in those ways and prepares you for what's ahead. For sure. Um, and, and in that, you know, you mentioned that you, you all are at a multicultural church that you, you know, you had to navigate some of those, you know, tensions. And, and I would just ask practically for, for you all, you know, you stepped into not only was it a Baptist Presbyterian church, uh kind of different bridge building there, but you're also bridging, you know, black and white, different races. What are some practical steps, or especially for us? I mean, you, you've written this, you've written books for children, but as young leaders, you know, I pray those listening would want to take steps to become a bridge builder themselves. What practical steps would you say to, that we can all take to, to step in and, and to, to build bridges where we are, but also to step into multicultural spaces?
1: Mm-hmm. One of the first things I encourage adults to do, is to posture themselves as listeners and as learners. Mm. And I think so often our culture um, r- really shapes us to gain knowledge and gain wisdom. And in that, we think we know something about everything. <laughs> and uh, you hear the mother of me coming out. But, you know, <laughs> I, I read something recently that said, pastors, you know, you don't need to try to be a medical doctor you know, you don't have a medical degree. So let's honor those who've gone to school for 12, 16 years to acquire knowledge in that field and let's respect their wisdom. And if you've gone to school to acquire knowledge in the word of God or as an engineer or whatever your lane is, then walk out that lane, but posture yourself as a listener, as a learner of those who have who have worked and labored. And so I would say to any young leader, to post it yourself as a listener, as a learner. And it's very likely that there are people already in your circle. They may be at your workplace. They may be in a congregation you're leading. They may be in your neighborhood. You may be seeing them frequently at the coffee shop you frequent or you know whatever. But it may very well be that they're already in your circle. And it's just about you approaching, not as a know-it-all, not as a critic, um, but as a listener and a learner because learning people's stories, especially our ethnic stories, um, and especially the pain and the, um, the trauma and the struggles attached to those stories are mm. really what grows trust. Um, someone doesn't want to connect with you if there's not trust. So how do you go to someone and say, hey, we need more of you to be a part of our organization or a part of our church, or we want to be more diverse,
2: yeah. um,
1: but you haven't shown them that you care about the full person, no, you exactly. know, who they are, not just she's a, a an Indian woman, but what, what about her Indian ethnic heritage um, has really been something she's proud of or something she's learning about herself? And how do I lean in as a listener and as a learner of that person's story? Um, and so I think that's really something that, again, Jesus modeled in the way that he interacted with people. And um, I just think that's a really important uh, first step and really a continued step it's not like you check that off your list and say now mm-hmm. I've listened to you and I've learned now I'm good it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, in human relationships we we continue to practice that but it's really critical um, especially as we're approaching you know our election and just you know all the things happening in our culture right now I don't think it's ever been a more important time for us to be listening to one another and not listening to criticize or to rebuttal but listening um, to authenticate and to learn from one another's stories,
2: mm. well, two things. One, you know if you're a leader and you're listening to this, you are a bridge builder. So that that is very that is a lot of what we do as leaders is we build bridges and we support the people. we We make it easy to get from one side to another sometimes. Um, and a lot of people walk on us, right? So I love that analogy. Second thing, I'm so excited that I can finally say I get to talk to the first lady. That is just like, (laughs) finally. I've I've been waiting to say that, you know, since you mentioned that you were the first lady. So I'm so excited (laughs) about that. Uh, But kind of going back to your past. So think of this like young leader, Drena. this is you and the unseen stories that we're talking about. But when did you realize that you were a leader? When was that moment for you growing up where you said, wow, Lord, you've clearly given me Spiritual gift of leadership?
1: Mm. You know, I think I realized that I was a leader when people kept looking to me for wisdom. And I think one of the pivotal times that I recall that is when Chris and I landed here in the Nashville, Tennessee area. We moved here in 1992. I have to sit and think back. Um, (laughs) We moved here for his career as a Christian rapper. He um, had had started a Christian rap group in college, and we moved here because the record company was here, and we had big dreams as a young couple to um, do great things, and um, God gave us a huge pivot, and he lost the record contract, and we found Mm -hmm. ourselves wandering and questioning God, um, having felt really confident that we were led by him. And instead, the pivot God gave us was to join this Presbyterian church community that was predominantly white, and um, <laughs> to learn about God's diverse kingdom with people of a different denomination, people who live different than us, but loved the same Jesus and had a heart to serve. And out of um, that season of community ministry with them, um, God called us to plant a church. And so as I kept seeing in those early years, especially, I kept seeing these young people wanting to come be in our home, wanting to ask us questions. Some of these teens were asking us as a young couple questions about sex. And I wasn't ready for that because I didn't have kids. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but I look back and I realized years later they told me, you know, and this is really heartbreaking, but these were young black kids from underserved communities. And they're telling us, you know, we just haven't seen young black married couples. Wow. And so for them, sitting in our little house, our little apartment, and me trying to throw together food, and them asking us questions about sex or about life. Um, I realize I am—I'm a leader because I don't get to pass the baton and say I'm not sure if I'm ready to have these conversations. You know, I need to engage because these kids are looking to me for wisdom. And so, you know, you fast forward, and a lot of those young kids now are married with their own kids, and we've done life together, and on and on. So, when you realize you're being looked to for wisdom, whatever yeah. age that is, that's, that's kind of a pivotal time where you. You sit up and you take the mantle and you answer the questions and you, you walk it out. And and you, it may be awkward. You, of course, mm-hmm. won't do it perfectly. But, you know, you you assume the, the role and you take, you take the opportunity that's been given to you. And That's what I did.
2: Now, that's a good word. A follow-up question to this, Darina. And you said, you guys, it was in the 90s. And um, when you moved to the Nashville area, you went to predominantly white church, correct? Correct. So how was the, tell us about your experience there. One, being a female leader and two, being a black female leader in a predominantly white church. How was that in the nineties for you? And then maybe pivot if you, if you, um, if you care, how is it now? Um, and, and what have you learned along the way through that journey?
1: Oh, I have learned so much. I will start there <laughs> with, with the fact that I have learned so much and lived a lot since then, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I, have, I was fortunate, and I will say it was a, a real blessing to be raised in a home where I was able to experience a diversity of cultures um, as a Black family. My dad was a pastor, and so we welcomed missionaries from around the world. And so I can see that God used that to prepare me for the call to be a bridge builder, because I literally saw it happening around me. Um, and so I you know grew up going to Christian schools that were predominantly white so moving to Tennessee and, and joining this church was not a completely new experience. It was something I had really learned to navigate um, my whole life and really owning who I was and knowing that as a woman, as a Black woman, and as a Black woman who also trusted Jesus, um, that all of that was a part of me. And even if people only saw me as just the shell just you're just another sister in Christ but they don't know what to do with my my female gender or with my blackness um but knowing who I am in Christ I think has just been the biggest um learning curve and then you know here fast forward to now that continues to be I would say I'm more comfortable in my skin um I know who I am even more um proudly um, not that I wasn't proud before, but I think I, I almost know that I need to force the point. Like I need to make sure people see me for who I am. And I can't let them um, sort of bypass and just say, well, we're just the same. Like we're just believers. And so isn't that good enough? Um, you know, all of those parts of me are are the way that God made me just to see my both of you as white men. You know, he made me as a black woman and I don't need to apologize for that. I don't need to demean that. I don't need to um, treat that as any less than the full part of me. I'm a multifaceted human being and that's who God made me to be. Um, So if someone has a problem with that, I have learned to let that be their problem because I know who I am and I know Mm -hmm. that God made me who I am and gave me the story that he gave me because that's how he wants me to glorify him. And um, if someone has a, a, a struggle with that, then I have learned to let that be their struggle and um, mm-hmm. not take that as something that
0: I have to struggle with.
2: Preach, preach, amen. Keep going, amen.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for your transparency there, Dorina. And I know um, we somewhat <laughs> just shifted from our questions, and there's just so much to dive into there. So, so thank you for for kind of expounding upon that with us. Let's let's jump now to when you were a young leader. Uh, I'm sure there were only a few mistakes along the way. But what would you say was your biggest mistake getting started? And maybe how did that set you up for success down the road?
1: I would say my biggest mistake of many. I <laughs> <Well, you laughs> sure wish you could turn back the hands of time. But, you know, we are, um, we like, are right now. We're looking <laughs> oh, in the past. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, the movies make it seem so easy when they just yeah. turn, it, turn it back. But, um I would say one of my biggest mistakes for sure was trying to please people um, really Mm -hmm. even thinking that I could. Um, And I think, you know, I really own that. I I give grace to myself even in that mistake because as a pastor's kid who became a first lady, I basically went from the frying pan into the fire. And so Mm -hmm. I have lived so much of my life, um, you know, as a, as a, Pastors' kid, and in my teens, you know, my parents telling us that we, you know, were an example, and and you know, although that's a good thing to hear, um, if you have tendencies towards self righteousness, then you take that as part of your identity. Oh, I'm an example, so look at me. Um, but then you turn that into, oh, I need to please people, so I need to walk my life out in a way that I get the nods of approval from people. And um, you know, Paul talks about that trap of you know. Am I gonna please men or please Christ? And mm. very often pleasing God—I mean, gosh—the Bible is pretty full of stories of folks who chose to please God, and it cost them. And um, I just, I just di- didn't want, didn't want to disappoint people. Um, and so sometimes I gave of myself. I let myself um, go dry because you know I took that phone call or I said yes to that opportunity because mm. well, I just I don't want to let anyone down. Um, and I think God really, um, had to, you know, reveal to me through wise counsel, through, um, things that I read, um, just through growing up and maturing, um, that it's impossible to please people. So stop trying,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just
1: focus on pleasing me and living a life of integrity. And, you know, um, I don't know how much time I have here, you know, none of us do, so, while we do, boy, we sure don't want to I don't think anyone said, I sure wish I'd please people a little more. That's not nah, gonna be man. my my regret that I wish mm-hmm. I'd please people more. you know I want to be able to say I, I really did my best to follow what God called me to do um, because you know really it's it's that audience of one. So yeah, I, I, I would say that. that's been the biggest mistake and, and struggle and not that I'm oh I don't have that one anymore, but I think I catch it a little bit quicker. When it comes along, and am um, quicker to just remind myself, oh, remember, sister, you've tried that before, and that doesn't work well, <laughs> and uh, that's not what your lane is. So do what you're called to do, and that's not to please people; it's the aim to please God.
2: I love that so much. There was a guest we had on the podcast, man, Chandler. I can't remember who it was, but they they uh, told a quote like, "If you stand in the middle of the highway, you're gonna hit you're gonna hit from both sides, from both sides of traffic, and that's trying. That's like pleasing people. It does. It doesn't work." Yep you're gonna mm-hmm. get hit from both sides. But mm-hmm. well, hey, before we get to the next question, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor. In the midst of this unique
0: season, Ministry Grid wants to help your church stay on the same page and maintain discipleship. Their hope is to help you continue to accomplish equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, even during social distancing. With Ministry Grid, you can train your volunteers on new or updated policies and procedures, resource your staff on new or updated ministry structures and responsibilities, share digital access to Bible studies for groups and classes meeting online, and equip families in at-home discipleship. And here's the best news of all. Ministry Grid is offering a special offer just for our podcast listeners. To learn more about this offer, go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to get unlimited access for $3.99 a year. This offer is only valid through October 31st at midnight, so make sure you sign up before the end of the month. Now, once again, just go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to learn more. Now, back to the podcast.
2: Darina, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? So I'm sure you've consumed tons and tons of books by now and you're an avid learner thinking about all the ones you know now what do you wish you'd had when you were just starting oh my goodness
1: i love to read and i think the book i wish someone had given me is one that is not has not been written yet or if it has been i haven't found it um and it would be a book for a young black female in ministry that really coached me on knowing who I was, um, and walking out what I was called to do. Um, that was incredibly hard, especially given the mantle of leadership as a first lady in my mid twenties, you know, uh, my mom has been a first lady for almost 40 years now. So, you know, our church is, is celebrating its 25th year this month. So, you know, 15 years ago, my mom was my greatest example, but she was my mom. You know, yeah. so she was a generation ahead. She dressed different. She liked to wear big hats and really kind of, you know, she she loved to just be dressed up high. And I was like, okay, that's not me. And I just didn't have peers my age. You know, now I love seeing young, you know, men and women who are being called to these great leadership roles um and really know who they are. But I, I really floundered some in that. Just, I how how do I walk this out? Cause my peers are so much older than I am, or they, they aren't, um, they don't share my racial identity. And I feel there's a lot that they can't relate to because starting a multiracial church as a young black woman was just, it was an anomaly. There weren't many, first of all, 25 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And there certainly weren't many that were, that were black led. And so, um, I don't know that I'm the one to write it, but I'm sure that there are some great books. I know Joe Saxton is a great, um, great. writer yeah. who has just, she's just knocking it out of the park and really, you know, I listen to podcasts and, and things that she's done, Latasha Morrison, I mean, there's just great, great, beautiful women of God, Black women of God who are um, giving us great material now, but um, they didn't have their books 25 years ago. So <laughs> I would love to have had something that, that specifically encouraged me down those those three things, being a being black, being a female, and being young, um, in, in a, a, a senior leadership role.
2: Well, I feel like that's Chandler, I think she needs to get like a makeup a made up prize because that's the most unique answer we've ever <laughs> had for the question. That, I, love I want a book that's not been written. Well Darina, I know you
0: said you may not be the one to write it but I think you should write it. Yeah, <laughs> I think that should <laughs> be your textbook.
1: <laughs> well, I am going to, I am going to pray and ask the Lord if that is something, you know, I've got all kinds <laughs> of stuff turning, So I'll yeah. tell you what, we'll add that file to my treasure. I call it my treasure chest. We'll add that <laughs> file to my treasure chest and uh, we'll see if this is, if that's
2: what God has. So, with <laughs> so the forward, I'm just saying, yeah, This, is, yes. this is moving right now. Oh this my, is.
1: <laughs> I would be so honored. Oh my gosh, that would be such an honor.
0: <laughs> well, well, Dorina, you know, going back to if you were going to write the book, and let's say you had a chapter on it that said, My biggest misconceptions mm. as a young leader, what would you include in that chapter?
1: Oh, I think that chapter would say, um, do not expect people to be loyal to you. And um, it would kind of make me really sad to <laughs> read that chapter because, you know, my, my thoughts about church going into my role as a first lady when Chris and I started Strong Tower was that people are going to jump on board this and uh, it, they're, yeah. they're going to be on it forever and so it came as such a surprise when you know folks that you'd invested in and you had been there for them like you had done life like you have poured your life into them and then they just kind of ghosted they disappeared and um so I think that misconception of people are going to be loyal to you um and again it's sort of tag teams with that whole idea of of you know, I, I'm going to be able to please people or I should try to, to please people. Um, now, certainly God has has brought people along in their faith over the years to give Chris and I wonderful support. And I think, you know, I, I would, in that chapter, I would coach myself to look for those that God has brought alongside to support, but support and loyalty aren't always the same thing, you know, and it also mm-hmm. shifts your perspective from, Um, they are in my corner. And it reminds you, especially in church leadership, that they are God's people. You know, we are all his people. So he may have called you to help shepherd them, to help mentor, to coach, to guide, to pour into people's lives. But um, ultimately, those who will be there for you are going to be people that God calls to support you, and it may be for a season, and that's okay. You know, not to expect this sort of tombstone. I think my dad actually said that when he Went to the church he pastors, that he brought his tombstone there. And that was a great sort of committed mm. and I'm steadfast and, you know, obviously from a great heart. Um, yeah. He's been there for, you know, almost 40 years now. But that's not necessarily everyone's story. And so I think it was just, it's kind of an understandable misconception that you think, oh, okay, like it's going to be for the long haul. And um, you can't control the choices that people make. So again, um, God will bring people that will support you, but don't look for people to give you a loyalty because again, um, that's just setting yourself up for, for disappointment and, and feeling this sense of they're, they're here for me and they're God's people, you know, and, and yeah. that keeps you free and that allows you to just flow and um, do life and love people well.
2: And I, I, I think that's such a good point and it's a good thought. And I think it, it could reveal two different things. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this too, Darina, but like one, just because you have a title as a leader does not automatically gain, gain you influence with people, right? They're not just going to follow you blindly because you have a title. I mean, maybe some will, but that's not like true influence. It's not true leadership, mm-hmm. but two, we are leading. If, if you're a leader, you are leading people, which means they're broken and they are yes. cheap to be interpreted. Right.
1: Yeah. That's um, right. I think
2: it was in Kevin Peck and Eric Geiger's book. Um, I can't remember. I, to lead. I can't even remember his book. That. Design to lead. Sorry, Kevin, if you're listening. <laughs> Design to lead. Thank you, Chandler. Um, but they, they have that quote, you know, people are are uh, yeah, people are sheep to be shepherded, not cattle to be driven. Yeah. Um, so tell us about like ways that you found um, as a young black woman in the church, how to influence people that were broken and had a hard time being shepherded.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, that's such a great point. And the Lord reminded me of that. Again, I think it's Psalm um, 23 that says, or no, I think it's Psalm 100 talks about we're his people, you know, the sheep of his pasture. And so um, remembering that, that, you know, I am not the savior and I, I've walked with God for so long, but it almost seems like a, a shameful thing to have to acknowledge that. but. I do like I have to remind myself I am not the savior. So I cannot fix you. And I think there have been times that my husband's probably experienced that much more than I have because he wears the title of pastor. But certainly as a first lady, as a spiritual leader, I have had people, you know, whether it's a call or a distress and their sense of, can you give me a word or can you fix this for me um, or tell me how to fix it? And there is such freedom and being able to say, I can go with you to the throne. Mm. And if the Holy Spirit gives me wisdom to share, I will. But even that, I have learned to be much more cautious about um, even just quoting a scripture or trying to have a word to say, you know, that that's where there's these subtle prideful places that you you feel like oh i have to be ready at all times and every subject matter and keep a mental file of okay this is the problem i have a word for that and (laughs) no i i am not god and Uh so i i cannot solve your problems i can't fix a thing um but i know i know who can and we can go to him together um or i may maybe god will come and say you know let me let me if you're open, let me give you a list of some counselors who can got, you know, just knowing the wisdom because sometimes people don't know. And so they will come to that human that, that is most accessible or they feel most connected to. And if I've been in that role, there's great freedom in knowing that I don't have the capacity to fix. Um, and even knowing that people may not always know that. So I have to be aware of that for them so that I can make sure that I'm leading them to To the source and not trying to leave, you know, have them so connected to me that they don't remember, you know, who their ultimate source is. Um, Mm. I have to do that as a parent. There have been times I said to my kids, I don't know. Yeah. Mother knows best there's not that's not in scripture
2: (laughs) you're not gonna find
1: that anywhere (laughs) and mother look at my 26 year old I'll let him know brother mother does not know best at all times but let's let's pray on that one or let me think about it look I can help check it out and get back with you that's a very freeing thing as a leader to say I don't know or I can't help you but I know who can um, I think especially in Christendom, that's a hard thing for us because we just, again, we want to be so capable. And and don't let us get a little education or a little age or a little experience. And we really struggle with feeling like, you know, I have to be this all capable, all powerful person. Yeah. Um, and and while there's so much to be said for gaining wisdom and gaining maturity and gaining experience and education and and, and all of those things, um, ultimately, we will never be all powerful. We'll never be all wise, and so I've just found great freedom in knowing how to make sure I'm directing people to um, the one who can handle their their struggles.
0: My biggest takeaway from all that, of course, is we inherently, like like we've discussed, we're broken people. So we want people to be loyal to us. Uh, probably there's a little bit of pride in that as well. Yep. But Darina, I feel convicted of. If I am leading in a Christ-like way, if someone is more loyal to me than they are Christ, mm. then I've failed them. Yeah, And I just appreciate you bringing it back around if, you know, if they left the church, if they left uh, your organization, but they are of greater, you know, they're following Christ more greatly than you've won. And yeah. I, thank you for, for that. That was convicting. And I, I think that's a word that we need to
2: hear, especially mm. now. So yeah. thanks. Gold. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Amen. Well, it's just, look, I'm just, I'm just letting y'all in on the struggle, It's real, <laughs> but it's also, I, I just, I wish I I'd, I'd known that early on um, yeah. instead of this, this, okay, I gotta be like prepared at all times for any, any person who has a need that I need to help fill. And, um, Again, that's not to knock wisdom and maturity and, yeah. and, and education, all of these things that are, those are gifts from God though, you know? So it really, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, it all goes back to reminding us ourselves that he's the source and reminding other people that he's the source.
2: And yeah, you know, before you get to the quick hitters, like this, Darina, I'm glad you're being so honest and vulnerable with that. This is the point of the podcast to have moments like that to where people can look back and see your story as you're saying, don't do it. Let me pay your stupid tax, right? Like <laughs> any, any experienced leader should be saying that to um, any young leader. And if you, if you pause it, go back and listen to the last five or six minutes. Listen to her answer again, because there is so much wisdom in that last five or six minutes to have as a lot of leader that let me tell you what Chandler, I've interviewed a lot of leaders. We're around a lot of leaders and a lot of them are great, but a lot of them don't have the wisdom that we just heard in the past five to six minutes. And I, I think it's really wise. You are not Jesus Christ to your people that are following you. You're not. You're the person that's supposed to lead them to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, man, Darina, thank you so much for sharing that. Seriously, really impactful.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these are going to be short one minute answers. And we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office or home office these days? Yeah, All that that good stuff. What time do you get to your... (laughs)
1: Well, gosh, the routine has been taken and turned upside down because my youngest just started back uh, on campus school. So the day is starting now about six o'clock, whereas before that, the day was starting about seven. ish. Um, So uh, the daily routine is getting her off to school and blessed and uh, getting the dog walk, making some coffee, having some time with the Lord and preparing my thoughts for the day. And then depending on um, what my schedule is between podcasts, uh, writing assignments. um, I also work part-time as a stylist with a wonderful company called Eve and I'm there one to two days a week. So uh, if that's on my uh, daily schedule, then I'll be preparing to head there. And uh, I sometimes do some cooking for the family around there. I've got people who cook too, so they help with that. And uh, at least one day a week, getting a date day or date night with my husband as well.
2: Let's go. uh, What's your favorite personality test?
1: It is uh, the Enneagram, Um, for sure. I really loved discovering... Actually, I discovered my husband's pipe before I discovered mine. And it was a great (laughs) help for both of us in um, a really hard ministry season for him to really learn anew how God created him for the good work he was called to do. Um, and so I did the test as well. And uh, it's been great for us to learn sort of some of the, oh, that's nice. <laughs> <He likes laughs> so that. we love it. Yes, we love it.
2: What did do you mind me ask? What's your Enneagram?
1: I am a nine with a two. I think I'm a two wing. So, okay. yep. Very cool. and he and he's an eight so we got we have lots of fun <laughs> <laughs> that's good what's
0: what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership
1: i think my unusual habit um is that I like to laugh and that's actually um I, I mean I don't know if laughing is really a habit I'm not sure if anyone else would say that but I think it Helps people let their hair down, and mm. I think it's a gift. It's a habit that's grown as a gift in this mantle of being a children's book author because I've had to tap into that inner silly side because you can't be all serious all the time with kids. And I was always <laughs> so serious because of taking these mentorship mantles of leadership roles as a, a young woman. That if it sort of built into this like I'm going to be a leader, and I've just got to be serious and responsible yeah. and posture myself. And now it's like, man how can we laugh and find joy and delight? Um, so I would say if, if laughter can be considered a habit, that would be
0: mine. Right. I, I love how you said that because yeah. I think, you know, when you're around kids, you kind of, you can't take yourself too seriously. And I think it grounds you. So, you know, as you said that, you said laughing more. Is there anything else that you've taken away from from writing books for, for children? Because you kind of got to take, you know, bigger ideas and you've got to distill them down to their, their roots so that they, they can grow in them. So is there anything else that you've learned? Because I think that's a great takeaway.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, kids force you to keep it real because they <laughs> say what they think. I mean, some of us adults do too, <laughs> but they will, they will blurt it out like, Oh, your hair looks funny. I mean, they will just say what they're And so the beauty of that, that kids keep it real is it just really forces you to be authentic. And you know, you do, like you said, you got to get on their level and you've got to keep it funny and keep it um keep it vibrant and you know keep it interesting. So that has it's been such a beautiful gift to me. I think it's just brought out delight, which um is such a, a God nurtured thing. Um we mm-hmm. see that through scripture and especially in COVID, it's been a gift to keep pursuing and seeking that in times that are really hard. Um things going on in culture that are really um, painful even to still find those ask God to show me those points of joy and when I want to see him to just grab them and celebrate
2: them. Love it. I feel like uh, kids would be great in a meeting where people are really struggling, having conflict and like getting to the truth because the kids are like, you're being mean. Like you're caught how they see it. You know, I, I hurt my finger when I was younger on a chainsaw. And so it's, it's interesting looking. I, w- I won't show you. Don't worry. And, but like, you know, a kid sees and they're like, what's wrong with your finger? <laughs>
1: you
2: <know? laughs> That's right. They don't, That's you know,
1: adults may not, view, they may spend time with you three or four times that have missed it, but a, a kid, like, they're just going to look you all up and down, and like I said, they're going to point out something looks silly or whatever, but I they just disarm you, and I love, I mean, it's, it's, so it's, a, it's a gift to get to write for kids, because it just oh. keeps, yeah, you can't take yourself too seriously, you got to just live life, There's- and it's a good thing.
2: There's another book in there somewhere. I'm telling you, <laughs> put it in your treasure chest.
1: Oh, I'm, um, absolutely.
2: <laughs> okay, cool. What is your what's your favorite app on your phone that you're using right now?
1: Oh, well, it probably doesn't uh, make me look really good, but I will say my favorite app is probably Instagram.
2: <laughs> I love Instagram.
1: I do. Instagram and I were we were slow to become friends. I was. <laughs> I'm dating myself. All your listeners are probably rolling their eyes and laughing at me, but it is true. I was slow to join Instagram, but now I'm like, I'm all about about Instagram. And I will also say it's wonderful being on Instagram as an influencer and having built-in help, also known as teenagers. Because they (laughs) make make sure I'm on point. They make sure pictures are edited right, especially if they're pictures that they're on. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> You need to delete that, re-edit it for me. <laughs> yes.
1: Mom, why did you post that? But I love it. I love receiving their help and uh, just making sure that I'm, I'm using it well. But I, I do. I love Instagram.
2: Well, I have a request for you. I'm going to hit follow. I've got you right here. <laughs> Please, please accept me, please. I will
1: accept you. I have my Wi-Fi and all off right now. But when I get back on, I absolutely will accept you. (laughs) My dream,
2: my
0: dream. Oh my
1: goodness.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love it. What has been the best book that you've read in the past six months?
1: Oh, for sure. It has been this wonderful book by um, a woman who's become a a dear friend of mine. Um, It's called Healing Racial Trauma, The Road to Resilience. And uh, Sheila Wise Rowe is the author of that. And um, it has really been a great book for me to even know how to own the racial trauma that I have experienced um, and to understand the impact that that not only has on me, on my husband, on my children, but on people of of every ethnicity and really knowing how to find um, the resilience that we need and the healing that we need. Um, she gives great examples and history of people of different ethnicities and different stories. And, um, it's really a healing, um, book that really helped bring peace to, to my soul, um, that I really, really needed
2: Mm. to check it out. Yeah. Last question. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time?
1: Don't be afraid to be a visionary and follow a goddess through your heart.
2: Mm-hmm. I love that so much.
0: Well, Darina, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to Instagram first and give Darina a follow. Yes. But then, But then next... <laughs> Head on over to the Unseen Leadership Podcast Instagram and give us a follow. Shoot us a DM. Uh, Let us know what you enjoy about the podcast. We'd love to connect. And we'll see you next week. Peace.